1: Going to John 4. We are in John 4. Wednesday night, if you could not be here, we started a new series called True Worshippers. Amen. True Worshipers. This is a story in John 4 of Jesus at the well of Sychar. So he actually, being led by the Father, knows that he needs to go by this well. We don't know. The story doesn't tell us. Did he actually know he was supposed to meet a woman there? Based on what I know from Scripture... And how the Bible tells us we're led the same as Jesus is led, I don't think he knew that. I just think he knew he was going to meet somebody there. And as we're supposed to be led, as Jesus himself was, when he got there, as this woman started walking up, something in his spirit told him, this is why I'm here. And he began to talk to this woman. Whether he knew or not is not the issue. The real issue is what gets revealed in the midst of this conversation. So as he had sent the disciples off, because I'm saving some time, we can't reread all of the entire account every time. <clears throat> as he had sent the disciples off to go get some food, they'd been traveling for a while. He being wearied, because he had a physical body, just like me and you, he sits down by the well. Well, most of us, of course, even in the summer heat of Texas know, when you're worried, nice to get a cool drink of water. And that's why he had sat by this well, waiting to get a drink of water. So here we have this account <clears throat> of this woman walking up, And him asking her to give him a drink of water. In the process of doing so, he begins to talk about the very truth of what we know of this this, uh, river of living water that will come from within us, this salvation that's going to happen. Amen? If you'll pick it up with me in verse 23, the key of what we want to look at is what was revealed in the midst of this situation of what they were talking about, and as a matter of fact, we'll just back up and we'll throw in here verse 19. The woman responded to Jesus and said, I perceive you're a prophet. He had revealed some things, of course, about her life. Notice what her next statement was. This is, this is the thing that we need to pick up on and really the heart of what actually was going on in this encounter. Notice what she said. Our fathers what? Worshipped. Worshipped. What did they do? They worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Now, Jesus actually says neither one of us are correct, really. The Samaritans didn't really understand worship. The Jews didn't really understand worship. Because even today, a lot of Christians still don't understand worship. They think worship is us singing a song. No, that's praise. That's praise, really. I mean, even in times past, I can think about teachings that I picked up with others Where I would say, you know, praise is exalting and, you know, giving adoration to God. And then worship is getting intimate relationship as to how you actually sing in a time of worship to God. But the truth is, you're to worship God every day. And that doesn't mean walk around and sing songs all day long. So the reason the word worship comes up in this conversation, it was commonplace for them to understand what this meant. Now, she's relating it to what we would think just singing songs. In a, specific spe- in a specific place, up on this mountain, right, where Jacob had established this well. Uh, obviously, she was a descendant of that, is where we know we should worship. You Jews worship in Jerusalem, meaning so you won't, you won't come up here. You got to be at the temple to worship. And Jesus said, listen, you Samaritans don't even know what you worship because to you it's all about the place where you're at. But you know what? Worship is not about where you're at because worship is about how you're living every day. Doesn't matter where you're at. And then he said, the Jews, they know who they worship because the Jews, guess what they knew? They knew that there was a Messiah to come, right? So he said, listen, the Jews know, in essence, what they worship, but he didn't say they were doing it right. Because they weren't. If they were, guess what they would have recognized that they were true worshipers when Jesus showed up. They'd have recognized Jesus. Here's God standing in front of them, and they didn't even know God standing in front of them. You want to know why? You want to know why? They weren't true worshipers. I'm not throwing them under the bus. I'm not saying they were bad people. I'm telling you, they didn't understand it. And again, most Christians today still don't understand it. So she brings up this statement about worship in verse 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. You say that, and and, and then you, of course, Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So here's Jesus' response, 21. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. Say it's coming. Now, you're going to get revealed, of course, it's already happened, as he's going to even state it in this context here in a minute. Hours coming, notice when, you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Why? Because it's not about singing a song. It is not. It is not about whether you're on this mountain singing to God or whether you're in the synagogue singing to God. That's not worship. Now, see, some of you I might have already lost. Some of you might already be kicking me to the curb. Let me help you understand worship. Again, <clears throat> you're going to see all through Scripture. You can study yourself. The Bible's clear. We're not to worship anything but God. Okay? Can you worship your spouse? Can you worship your spouse? Yes, you can. Does that mean you're singing to them all the time? Probably not. <clears throat> probably not. Most of you probably never sing to your spouse. Some of you might have. You know, I have. Kathy likes my little songs. <laughs> it's a joke. She, <clears throat> she thinks my songs are pretty stupid. But,
0: <clears throat>
1: but but can you worship your vehicle? Can you worship your home? Yes, you can. All, this is all through the Bible. You and I are to worship no idols. So worship is not singing a song. The Bible does not teach us singing a song is worship. Would, would, uh, worship, could worship be involved in a time of praise? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. But see, again, people misunderstand worship as it relates to the Bible. Because of this misunderstanding, we have missed out on a powerful part of what God wants us to understand about worship. And this is what Jesus is bringing up in in this very uh, set of verses. So notice verse 22, you worship what you don't know. We know what we worship. Now that just means, again, they knew about the scriptures of a Messiah to come, and therefore clearly uh, they were going to worship this Messiah. But here the Messiah was, and they didn't even know him. So they weren't doing it right. They weren't doing it right. He said, went on to say in verse 22, because salvation is of the Jews. The Jews knew it was through their descendancy that this Messiah would come through the tribe of what? Judah. 23. But the hour is coming, notice this, and now is. So now he's gone from saying the hour's coming to guess what? It's already here. In other words, I'm here to change what worship's all about because it hasn't been done properly. And honestly, it was not you weren't able fully to do worship properly until being born again. What? Yeah. Yeah, because true worship, again, is not singing a song. And you're going to see this. Remember Wednesday night? What did we talk about Wednesday night? Why? Does God want to find true worshipers? He wants fellowship. So notice this. This is powerful. He said the hour is coming, verse 23, and now is when the true worshipers, say true worshipers. When the true worshipers will do what? What will they do? Notice this. They will worship who? The Father. See, this is all about relationship with the Father. Well, I'm a worshiper of Jesus. Biblically, from the term, that's not wrong to say. You should adore him. You should love him with the highest devotion. But Jesus is saying the hour has come when now the true worshipers will do what? They'll worship the Father. Why? Because God has always wanted what from man? Relationship. God has always wanted to be able to show him strong on our behalf. God has always wanted to show his love to us. You know, one of the most frustrating things, maybe you didn't have it happen, you know, uh, I certainly wasn't no catch in the sense of like a real handsome guy. I know I've become very handsome as I've gotten older. <laughs> Some of you probably think Pastor's really stuck on himself tonight. I'm just messing. I'm just teasing. I had multiple crushes growing up. Anybody have a crush on somebody growing up? And, and you know, wanted these, you know, girls to recognize me and notice me, you know, and stuff. And they wanted nothing to do with me. So what I thought, although, of course, you know, it was really not obviously what we understand of true love, but what I thought was a love that I had for them, a desire to want to love them, they could never experience. Why? Why could they never experience? Because they they didn't want anything to do with me. If they didn't want anything to do with me, in other words, devoting themselves to me, guess what they couldn't experience? My love for them. God is love. You want to know why a lot of people aren't encountering God? I'm going to tell you why. They're not true worshipers. Because to be able to encounter God's love is to be able to walk around with a smile on your face, a joy in your heart, a peace over your life, and a relationship with God that's so close. You know exactly what he wants you to do every day. And you know exactly how awesome it is to have this God and Father with you everywhere you go. You're, awake, you're awakened to the reality, the greater one really does live in me. It's not just a scripture in 1 John. It's a reality. I sense his presence. He's with me every day. But see, a lot of people don't. Why? They're not true worshipers. They don't understand the term, and and they don't understand what it means to be a true worshiper. So please don't don't do this with me, because I'll help correct you, and you'll get mad. So don't do this with me. Oh, I'm a worshiper, pastor. Well, you mean a singer. You mean somebody who worships and prays God and sings a lot. But that's not what the Bible refers to. Amen? Let's make sure we are true worshipers. But it's not about singing to God. It's not what it's about. Notice again, <clears throat> the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will do what? Worship the Father how? In spirit and in truth. Now we'll start into that a little bit tonight. Notice this. Underline this please in your Bible and say it with me. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Say that with me. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Guess what? He hasn't stopped. Every day He's looking. Every day He's looking. Now... If you're born again, that don't mean you're a true worshiper. Realize that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you in the sense like, what? I thought I got born again, man. I was everything I needed to be. Inside as a spirit you are. But a true worshiper, here's how you can know a true worshiper. They are aware of God's presence every day. They walk in intimate relationship with God. They know exactly where God wants them to go, what he wants them to do, to the most degree. You know what I'm saying? They know what God has planned for their life. Why? They're fellowshipping with him all the time, and they're aware of what he's directing them to do. They're aware of him being around them every single day. That's what the Father wants. God didn't create a world with 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 a garden, you know, for him to come down and have the kids off playing. He wanted them to be with him and to fellowship with him and have intimacy with Him. Not off doing their own thing. But how many Christians are living day in and day out doing their own thing and the Father's seeking for somebody can I put it this way? To fellowship with. To get close with. There's nobody better to get close with than God. But to do it you got to be what? A true <clears throat> worshiper. Say that's what He's seeking. Say the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Say it again. The Father is seeking such to worship him. So we need to understand, first of all, what is this true worshiper in relationship to spirit and truth? And why is it he's seeking these to worship him? So he's seeking these to sing to him? No, he's seeking these to understand what true worship is all about because it opens the door for intimate relationship with him. Now he gets to share who he is with you. Now he gets to pour that love out into you. Notice verse 24, God is spirit. Say he's a spirit. Notice it doesn't say a, but it just says is spirit, but he's a spirit. God is spirit, and those who who worship him must. Say must. Circle highlight that word. So if you're going to be a true worshiper, you must do what? Here it is. Worship him again in what? Spirit and truth. Say God's looking for true worshipers. So my goal more than ever in the last of the last days is to make sure I'm a true worshiper. Now, you know what? You could have once been and drifted away. We'll see this later on in this series, probably Wednesday night. We'll get into it maybe on Wednesday night. But you're going to see this later on as it relates to people in the Bible who God even acknowledged at one time actually were in a position of what a true worshiper would be, but are no more. Doesn't mean they're not born again anymore. But they were once close with God, walking aware of his presence. Now they're not. What happened? Why did that happen? And in the midst of us learning that, we're going to learn some truth about true worshipers. So here's the definition. If you go look up in the original Greek language, not the King James, that's not the original language. So that's an English translation of the Greek. If you go look up the original Greek language of the phrase true worshiper, here's what it means. There's three key things of what a true worshiper is. And if you'll just listen to this, get a hold of it, you'll understand it goes far beyond singing songs. A true worshiper is, number one, one who adores God. What do you do? You adore God. Now, wait a minute. Does that mean I shouldn't adore my wife? Well, listen, not above God. No, if I adore God the way I should as a true worshiper, guess what? I'm going to be able to love her better than I ever could have. Because I'm not going to love her with my love. When you got born again, Romans 12 says the love of God was shed abroad in your heart. Yes. I want to get this, this a little, Holy Spirit just nudge you on this, this little side trail. If you love people with your love, guess what? That's conditional. That's right. I don't care what you say. Yeah. Oh, I really love them. I really love them. That's, condi- if it's your love, that's conditional. Because guess what? The love that I have to love you with, if I walk in the kind of love that I should to have to love you, it ain't my love. Right. It's the Father's. He shed his love in your heart by the Holy Spirit. So if I truly adore him, I can love people in a way that I couldn't because it's not my love. This is why you can forgive. One of the ways you know you're a true worshiper, you're an instant forgiver. Because the love of God so overwhelms you, the fact he forgave you everything, uh, you have no problem as a true worshiper to forgive other people. Why? You're filled with that love. It's not your love. It's not your love. If you're still allowing what people said and done to you and things that have happened and stuff to cause you to treat each other in any way other than what love should do, I'll guarantee you what, you need to learn to be a true worshiper because that love will overwhelm your heart and cause you to walk in love towards others no matter what they've done. Hey, Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive these very ones who drove nails through my hands and my feet, put a crown of thorns on my head, Come on, did all this, you know, beat me with a cat and nine tail? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, listen, could any of you imagine the pain and suffering that he went through with what them Romans did to him? And he asked the Father to forgive them. And how many Christians have a hard time forgiving anybody that's offended them today, hurt their feelings? Let me tell you about your little feelings. That's not where your love's at. That's your soul, mind, will, and emotions. And that's not where your love's at. Your love's in your spirit. God is a spirit. And true worshipers worship him in what? Spirit and truth. Not flesh. So understand this. A true worshiper is one who what? Adores God. Number two, they not only adore God, they do what? They magnify God. A true worshiper magnifies him. We don't magnify ourselves. We don't magnify other people. We don't magnify other things. Think about how much people magnify the stuff more than God. You listening? Now, I want to be careful here because we got to be careful about this whole issue of church attendance, going to church, reading your Bible, all that. If you are a true worshiper, those things are a delight to you. If you're not, they're a struggle for you. They're a challenge for you. And therefore, it's just basically kind of like what the Jews were doing. You're really worshiping more the form of what you do instead of the God behind it all. See, let me jump ahead of myself a little bit. What was the problem with the Jews? Let me tell you why they weren't as a whole, why they weren't true worshipers. God is a... God is a and those who worship God must worship him in so what's that mean listen they were not worshiping God they were worshiping the law God gave them they were more caught up with the law God gave them Uh, hey don't there's still people like this today bless her heart I got a call from a gal a couple weeks ago two three weeks ago left us a left me a message Uh, asked me to call her back, I call her back, she lives in Argyle, she said, I live in Argyle, I'm trying to find a church that keeps the Sabbath, do you keep the Sabbath? I said, no ma'am, well why don't you? I said, because what you mean is do we still meet together as a church on the Sabbath day? What did you just say? Doesn't matter the time, doesn't matter the day, doesn't matter the place, right? And so she said, do you keep the Sabbath? No ma'am, I said, we do not actually come together as a church on the Sabbath, We do so on Sunday. Now, wait a minute. Be careful you don't exalt Sunday above Saturday under the New Testament. But we do so because it's the Lord's Day. All through the New Testament after Jesus was raised on Sunday, first day of the week, guess what the disciples started doing? They gave him that day. Out of seven days, they said, this is the Lord's Day and we're going to come together And we're going to get to know him better. We're going to grow in our understanding what he wants us to do and have the disciples teach us what they learned from Jesus. So I said, we actually meet on the Lord's day. You don't keep the Sabbath then. Well, not according to what I know you're asking. No, we don't. I said, I still think it's good if you did what obviously it really was for originally when it was established. When it was established, it was established as what? What was it established as? Anybody know? A day of rest. If you're going to work seven days and never take time to rest, you're going to wear your body out. This is why Jesus said the Sabbath wasn't made for God. She thinks it was made for God. No, this was made for man. It was made so you could rest your body because you would have to. And if you don't, I mean, you know, if you don't rest your body, it don't take long. You're going to wear your body out. Your, your body is not superhuman. You listening? You're not just a mere human as a child of God, but your body's still human. And so the whole purpose of the Sabbath, primarily in God's view, when he first established it to begin with, was so that man would take time to rest, so that they wouldn't wear themselves out physically. And so I said, no, ma'am, and here's what the Sabbath means. Well, the minute I said, here's what the Sabbath means, she just immediately went off, just immediately. It's like, wow, why did you even call me to just argue? All you had to do is say, okay, thank you, goodbye. No, uh-uh. Oh, I can't believe you don't keep it. So, said, ma'am, I said the Sabbath, she wouldn't even listen to me. I said, ma'am, the Sabbath was not actually made for God. It was made for man as a day. And hey, man, then she hung up on me. Well, listen, guess what? There are still people today that honestly, sadly, are not true worshipers. They're worshiping the form and the function of what they believe the Bible says instead of the one who actually authored it. That's what the Jews were doing. The Jews would worship the aspect of what he said them, for them to do. How I many you know what he said for them to do would benefit them? But you're not to worship that. I'm the one you worship. I'm the one you worship. Amen? So a true worshiper is going to worship what? They're going to worship who? God. Not the form, not the function, not coming to this house. A true worshiper will come to the house of God. Why? Because they will do what? Magnify God. Because God's more important to them than other things. If you're a true worshiper, guess what's more important to you every day than other things? God is. God is. Now you don't call your boss, and I'm not coming to work today because I 'm more true worshiper and I 'm magnifying God, you're not going to have a job. You can go to work and still magnify God on your job. If you're a true worshiper, I've taught you this. If you're a true worshiper, man, I mean, the Lord taught me this a long time ago when I was first really starting to walk close with God. You know, I'd get in an environment at work, guys would start cussing, and it would bug me. I mean, it just bogged me on the inside, just bothered my spirit. as I was so grieved by it. I'm like, Lord, man, this just ain't right. Why do I got to listen to this stuff? He said, who said you got to listen to it? They don't know any better, just like you didn't when you were a sinner. They sounded like you did when you were a sinner. They sound like you did when you were. Uh, they sound like, like you were when you were a sinner. You don't have to do that. You don't have to listen to that and say, "What do I do?" Well, how about you just simply have equal time, Amen. like I learned from Jerry Savell. So, any time guys around me would start cussing at work, uh, as soon as they said a cuss word, I'd say, "Glory." Amen. <coughs> the cusser, hallelujah. They, of course, they look at you funny. You know, isn't it, isn't it crazy? We don't look at people who cuss funny. Right. But you look at somebody who acknowledges God as funny. You want to know why they think you're funny? They're of the world. They're not of God. Now, I guarantee if a believer was there, they might first kind of look at you kind of funny because they are probably not really glorifying God that much either. But i guarantee you what, if I was around some believer or something, I've been around believers in public say, hallelujah, glory to God. I like it, man. I'm like, praise the Lord. Yeah, amen, brother. Glory. I don't say, ooh, you're weird. No. <clears throat> no. So I began to do, stu- I started countering all their, f- their foul language. I just started, praise the Lord. Glory to God. One guy said, what are you doing? I said, listen, man, you're magnifying your God. I'm magnifying mine. Right. I know you don't know that. You know, obviously they're magnifying the devil, but I'm going to magnify my God. Amen. Amen. The funny thing, it, funny thing it is, I had two guys in that place where I work who got in major trouble, one in his marriage and another one in a situation, uh, in a health situation. And the guy they thought that was a nut, that was a weirdo, they wanted nothing to do with guess who they snuck and came to at, the, at nighttime when nobody else was around to come and say, hey, could you pray for me? Now, I didn't, I didn't shame him. <clears throat> I didn't say, well, what are you doing coming at night? I didn't do that at all. I said, you bet I will. Absolutely, my God will help you. My God will help you. He's a good God, amen? amen. And he can be your God. So a true worshiper does what? They adore God. They magnify God. Here's the third one. And it kind of culminates everything together, but it's so powerful. You ready? That's, a, a true worshiper is one who loves God to the highest degree. This is in the Greek language. A true worshiper loves God to the highest degree. How can you love God to the highest degree? Our pastor told you this morning. How do I love God to the highest degree? I I remember hearing this when I first became a believer. You know, it's God first, and then it's family second, and then it's work work third. And that always bugged me. I always thought, how is it we put God up here saying he's first, but then it's like when you get to family, God's not involved? And you get to work, God's not involved. You know, because that's, many of them, that's kind of what they mean. It's like, <clears throat> okay, God first, go to church, but after that, we're done with God. No, right. Now it's family, and then it's work. But that's not true. Right. I'll never forget the first time I heard <clears throat> what you heard this morning, years ago, when Pastor Barclay brought this up. He said, no. I mean, he was, it was a whole different message that day. He said, no, it's God first, and then it's God And it's God, and it's God, and it's God, and it's God. It's never not God. It doesn't matter if it comes to your family, your job, your workplace. And another way to say it, I'm a true worshiper no matter what environment I'm in, no matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm doing. It's always God at the height of my life. Amen? Because I'm going to love Him to the highest degree. Now, this goes right along with what Jesus said about being a disciple. I've taught this many times, the keys of what a disciple is. One of the primary keys of a disciple, Jesus taught us in the book of Luke, you ready? You can't love anybody. You can't love anybody more than you love me. Father, mother, brother, sister, and even your own life. If you do, you're not my disciple. You're not my disciple. Now, here's the mistake I made for years has not really understanding the power of this. I was actually walking in the aspect of the relationship, but I didn't understand the power of it. A true worshiper will automatically serve God. A true worshiper, a result of, of, of true worship is, is service. It's an automatic, it's just a, It's a byproduct. And I used to emphasize all the time serving God. while well, that emphasized in the worship part. We were talking to pastor this afternoon. We sat down uh, m- uh, multiple hours today, a couple hours at lunch and a little bit after that and talked about different things. And I've been talking to him about this series I was doing. I said, you know, pastor, I said, I realize as I'm kind of coming full circle back around to teachings like this, how easy it is to get away from emphasizing the right thing first. Is it good to emphasize in relationship, should we talk about serving God? Sure, it's absolutely right. Bible tells us we should, right? Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Who was he serving? Honestly, he was serving the Father. I've come to do the Father's will. But understand, if you don't understand worship, guess what service becomes? Wait a minute, you ready? You ready? Guess what service becomes? Your worship. Your worship. It's what happened to the Jews. See, if you would have looked in Jesus' day at the Jews of their day, you'd have thought these guys are walking close with God. You kidding me? They never not come to the temple on the Sabbath day. They're always dressed appropriate. They're always doing the, from the outward. They're always doing the right thing. Remember what Jesus said? You look like whitewashed sepulchre, but inside you're, you're full of dead man's bones. Why? Because they didn't truly understand worshiping God instead of worshiping all the things that God said they're to do. You know what? We can fall into that very easily. We can get to a place where all of a sudden we feel bad about certain aspects of our life and we're not doing everything in relationship to serving God we think we should do. Let me help you. Work on your worship. The serving will just become a byproduct. And I'll show it to you. So I want to be a true worshiper. How about you? Not just be one. I want to stay one. And what's the benefit? Intimate relationship with God. Intimate. There's nothing better. I said there's nothing better. Back up to Luke. Back up to Luke. There is nothing better than intimate uh, relationship with God, total awareness of him, total awareness of his presence in your life, nothing better. You know, you think about all the different things people talk about in life that they think is the, oh, there's just nothing better than being up on a mountaintop on a crisp morning. No, there is something better.
0: Yes.
1: There is something better. Oh, there's nothing better than knowing you're leaving on vacation tomorrow, praise God, and you're putting all your workload. No, there's something better. I said there's something better. Something better than vacation. Some of you seem to not really realize that yet. There's something better than your vacation. There's something better than waking up on a mountaintop on a crisp morning and seeing the sunrise. There's something better. You want to know what it is? Being a true worshiper. Experiencing God's presence. Because the cool part about that is you don't have to be on vacation to have it happen. You don't have to be on a mountaintop. You listening? You can be in a dirty, dank dungeon like Paul and Silas. In the midst of the sewage and the rats. And still do what? Experience the love and the presence of Almighty God. In the midst of one of the darkest times of their life. And this is what true worshipers experience. So in Luke chapter 4, we get a clue to this about the serving part. As Jesus was tempted... Remember in the wilderness in the time of temptation, 40 days and 40 nights for us as he's being tempted by the devil. We're going to look at the second temptation in Luke 4 verse 5. The devil taking him up on a high mountain Stop. Did he actually physically take him up on a high mountain? No, because he's out in the desert. Well, how did he do this? Same way he tempts you, thoughts. Through thoughts, he, he got him to think this. He got him to actually have this imagery in his mind. Taking him up on a high mountain, he showed him all the kingdoms... Of the world in a moment of time. Well the devil doesn't even have that power to do that. But he can he can make you think it. Verse 6. Notice. And the, I, I just wanted to say that to say. The, the devil doesn't tempt you any different than he did Jesus. It's all about minds. It's all about mindset. Trying to get you to think things you shouldn't think. Verse 6. The devil said to him all this authority I will give you and their glory. What is the temptation of the devil always in relationship to us as it relates to trying to get us to worship anything other than God. He's always going to try to use something of an enticement of money, of, of let's say fame, in some cases of some people's lives. Well, I'm not looking for faint acceptance of other people. Guess what you're never going to have in this life? Not everybody's going to accept you. You better wake up to that reality pretty quick. But guess what? There is somebody who will and already has. His name is God the Father. So understand that clearly he's revealing here that I'll give you all this stuff trying to entice Jesus with this authority. By the way, did he have it? Jesus didn't deny he had it. Because when, when, uh, when Adam sinned in the garden, who was the authority in the earth originally given to? Adam. But he relinquished it in the fall and now the, now the devil has it. But guess what Jesus did when he was dead and raised from the dead and then ascended, hey, he got it back. He didn't get it back for him. He never lost it. We did. Guess what he did? He made made up for our mistake. For Adam's mistake. Notice the devil said all this authority I'll give you. Verse 6. And their glory for this has been delivered to me. And I will give it to whomever I wish. Adam did deliver it to him. By relinquishing and and giving into sin. Verse 7. Therefore if you will do what? If you'll what? So is the devil saying okay Jesus. Come on sing to me. Sing to me. You know all those times when I was son of the morning star, Lucifer in heaven, and I was singing to God, my turn. Now you're going to sing to me. No, he's not saying sing to me. What's he saying? What's he actually saying here? I want you to make me the one. You listening? I want you to make me the one you adore. I want you to make me the one that you magnify and that you love to the highest degree. That's what he wanted. I want your, here's a, can I put all those things into one word? I want you devoted to me. I want you devoted to me. If you'll devote yourself to me, worship. I'll give you all this. By the way, would he have? You think Satan would have given it to him? You know why he wouldn't have given it to him? The Bible says he's a liar and the father of lies of course there's no way Jesus would have done it we know that I'm just saying no he wouldn't have because he's an abs but you got to understand this the devil tries to actually entice you in things that you don't even realize is him promising you things that he's never going to fulfill he's never going to do you don't need any promise of any else uh, uh, excuse me of anything else in this life of some type of thing you're trying to get why Jesus already got everything you needed amen. I'd like a better amen than that amen. Notice again, he said, if you will worship before me. So what's he saying? If you will devote yourself to me, then all will be yours. Jesus answered and said, now here's, every time you see these terms, you got to look at the actual wording and things that's being said because it's giving you insight. If you never known this, which I don't know, I would say it's partially, yeah, it's part of a gift of a pastor because... Part of the gifting God gives a pastor as a teacher is the ability to see things, break things down. I've always been that way as a kid. I've told you this. When I was a kid growing up in my house, if anything, man, any mechanical, electrical, anything, that went to Daryl's room. why I love to tear it apart, man. I wanted to figure out how it worked. And I wanted to see if I could make it, you know, useful for something else. But you got to realize when you read stuff, so when you come across the word worship now, what you'd be doing. Looking at what else is being said in the context. Because there's things being revealed there significant about worship. And here's one of them. So Jesus answered and he said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall what? Worship. Tell me out loud. Worship. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only. Oh, he had another word. Yes, Read it. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you yes. So a lot of people pick up on the serve thing and say, yep, we're to serve nobody else but God. Let me help you again. Let's back up. Let's rewind the tape. Okay. What did he say first? Don't worship anybody else but God. What happens if you, well, let, me, let me put it this way. Whatever you worship, you will serve. Whatever, if you worship your job, you'll serve your job. Oh, yeah. Yeah, your job will become king to you. You'll, you'll make all kinds of sacrifices for it if you worship your job. If your job is your God and that's what you bow down to and that's what you adore by, because that's how I get all the money I need. So, bless God, I'm going to bow down to my job. Listen, man, it's like Pharaoh, you know. It's like the slave driver Pharaoh and the children of Israel saying, let us go so we can go do what? Worship our God. No. No, I'm not going to let you go. You know what the world doesn't want you doing? Worshiping God. You know what most worldly jobs don't want you doing? Worshiping God. No, you got to work Sunday. Huh? No, you got to work on Sunday. I'm not trying to put anybody down that has a job, works on Sunday. I'm just telling you, back. you think back about, you know, probably for sure 40, 50s time frame, very few jobs. Very few jobs were actually happening on a Sunday. How many restaurants could you find open? See, some of you, of course, are like, well, I wasn't alive back then. Ask your parents. I guarantee you what? There weren't many. I said, there weren't many. You know why? Hey, guess what? There wasn't on Sundays when I was a kid growing up. There were no Little League baseball games. There were none. We were driving back one time from a straight talk with pastor, our pastor. We go to the meeting for ministers, and we're coming uh, through, uh, where is that? It's out of Tennessee, Arkansas, Arkansas. And we go by this area, these beautiful ball fields. I played Little League when I was a kid. Pastor and I were talking about it. I just found out my pastor played baseball when he was a kid. It was a shortstop. So, wow, we'd have made a good team. I could have been the pitcher for the shortstop. But we're driving by, I see these beautiful ball fields, and they're filled, man. Kids all out there, and it's a Sunday. And the first thing that hit my, my mind was, when I was a kid, you'd have never saw this on a Sunday. Why do they do it today? Now, again, we're not worshiping a day. I said, we're not worshiping a day. But it's been recognized it's the day that we do come to do what? Learn from God. Draw close to God. A lot of stuff has changed, folks. So what you worship, you will what? You will serve. So he said, clearly, you get behind me. It's written, you shall worship the Lord your God. Worship the Lord your God. Worship the Lord. The Lord. The one supreme in authority. Your God. Your God. And him only, therefore, shall you what? Serve. So it's a progressive statement. If you worship the Lord your God, guess what you do? He's the only one you're going to serve. But whatever you worship, if you worship your money, you'll serve it. Think about that. Think how many people worship money. What do you mean? They adore it. They think it's their answer to everything. They exalt it above everything else. They'll do anything to get it. You listening? If you do that, guess what you do? You serve money. And what's that mean? Money dictates how I live. Money dictates whether I'm happy or sad. You still here? Money dictates whether I have joy or not. Money dictates. Now, I mean, I know people got lots of money. If you think just having lots of money means they'll be full of joy. Oh, no. No, no, no. The Bible, aren't you glad? The Bible says God will bless us with riches and no sorrow comes with it. Why? Because the money's not our God. We know the God who can supply more of the money. Notice this. Who or what you worship, you will serve. Now, this is a second step. This is a second step you need to understand. And who or what you serve, you ready? You'll become like. You'll become like. So if I worship God, what will I do? I'll serve him. If I serve him, guess what I'm going to become? Like him. So I don't have time to go back. I'm kind of pushing a little beyond my time on this part already. But I don't have time to go back to what we showed you in Genesis. What was the goal of God putting man here on earth? I wanted somebody to look like me, talk like me, act like me, live the kind of life that I live, and get to experience like basically, in essence, what I experience as a spirit being. And they could do that because they're like us. What did God make man like? In his likeness and in his image. So there's two reasons God wants you to worship him. For those of you that were here Wednesday night, you already know this. What are the two reasons? He wants fellowship... It's what he's always wanted. Into fellowship. You ready? And therefore, he wants you to do what? He wants you to actually look like him. Meaning, live the kind of life he lives. He wants to see you walk out what he himself knows that he would like himself to walk out. And therefore, see you walk out the same life. Why does the Bible tell us? Are you ready for this prayer? Ready for this prayer? Father, let your will be done right here on earth. Just as it is in heaven what well guess what that what's going on in heaven the will of the father the life of the father what's he want for you the same life here same life here but you won't have that apart from god but we got to make sure we're not making religion our god we got to make sure we're not making the bible our god we're making the god of the bible the one we worship i don't worship a book You listening? I don't worship a book. I watched a guy one time in a meeting set it down and he got on top of it and he said I'm standing on the word of God. You should have heard the gas in that church when he stepped on that Bible as if he was doing something unholy and unreverent and all that. Listen, there's nothing about this book of itself ladies and gentlemen that's holy. It's the God who wrote it. I I treasure my Bible because it's my opportunity to fellowship with God. But the pages... And the ink and all that stuff was made by actual parts of this earth, right? Trees and all the ink, wherever the ink, what makes ink? Anybody know what makes ink? I don't even know what makes ink. But all that stuff, even the materials on the outside, it's just earthly materials. You listening? What makes it powerful? The God it reveals. What do we worship? Do we worship the Bible or the God it reveals? The reason I love living in the Word is because of the God that it reveals. If you don't love and actually truly, as as Jesus said, if you don't truly worship him as a true worshiper, this becomes a burden. This becomes a burden. It becomes a hardship to try to go to the Bible every day. Well, listen guys, I'm going to tell you this, man. Just from a natural perspective, turn to 2 Chronicles while I'm talking. I'll help you get a head start on the next verse. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 5. So most of you know and I appreciate, thank you for all of the all of the anniversary. Uh, thank you for all the anniversary greetings and and thank and honoring us for our anniversary. Uh, our anniversary was yesterday. Thirty-four years. Yesterday was our anniversary. I can remember the first time I saw Kathy Baker. Never forget it. I wasn't Kathy Baker. She was. She was Kathy Smart. <laughs> but today she's Kathy Baker. She's Kathy Smart Baker. <laughs> You tell her she got a little smart still in her face. <laughs> so I was sitting in cowboy, uh, actually, my church, cowboy church. We were outside that day. We were actually outside. It was a nice day. And we had actually got moved around to the auction barn, which is now the cowboy channel. But cowboy church was there at one time. Our church was. Back when it was still an auction barn, by the way. During the week, they still sold cattle and horses and all that stuff. We sat in there, fleas everywhere, man. I mean, people complain about being too hot in church. I like, oh, man. You should have come to my church. You fought off fleas. Fleas trying to bite you all the time and stuff and flies everywhere and all this kind of stuff. We didn't care. And that's where I had one of the greatest encounters with God, by the way. Uh, if you don't know, Azusa Street was in an old home. And the downstairs area that they actually used for the meeting place was actually the place where they normally kept the horses and all the animals that they rode into town. And they would normally use the room upstairs. But when, uh, you know, when they took that building over uh, for their church, they met in the downstairs part. It was dirt floor. There's dust, dirt everywhere, flies everywhere. They didn't care. You know why? If you're worshiping your God, you're adoring him, not the building. You're not adoring your comfort. You, come on. You're not exalting your comfort. You get awful quiet when I talk like this. You're not exalting your comfort. You're exalting the God who you're coming to worship. So the temperature doesn't matter. Like a better amen than that. You're grateful. You should be grateful that we have good air conditioning, man. In this. We just replaced all these units here. So understand this. When I first met Kathy, when I saw her walk in the door, she caught my attention immediately. And when I began to date her, when I began to actually uh, court her and date her, I'll never, I was still driving a rock truck. And so I so wanted to see her every day, I would do whatever I could. We didn't have cell phones back then. None of these were around. Yes, amen. I'm almost wishing we didn't. Uh, It does a lot of ministry for me. So in that sense, I'm glad to have it. But we didn't have cell phones. So to try to talk to somebody, whatever, you had to call them on that landline, right? Or you had to go where they were at. Well, driving a rock truck, if you obviously understand rock, don't, don't get mad at every rock hauler going down the road because I was a rock hauler for years. So as a rock hauler, guess where you wind up at Bridgeport at the Crusher at, at what time in the morning you wind up there, 3, 4 in the morning. Why? Your first load's got to be on the ground by 6 or 7. You got to go up there, get a load, run it, go to a job site, dump it, go up there, get a load, go to a job site. So my first load, man, I'm already dumped and done, and she's getting ready to start work. Now, I've already got picked up my first load, I've already gone to my first job site, I've already dumped it, and it just happened to be down in Haltom City area where she lived, and I knew that. And I so wanted to see her, I so wanted to be around her, that I actually took the time to go down this little street that she lived on, Ammons, in in Haltom City, and as as soon as I turned the corner, I even see a sign, no trucks. (laughs) That's not pickups, that's the truck I'm driving. I'm driving an actual 18 uh, uh, wheeler with an aluminum uh, dump bed on it. And here I come, man, down to this neighborhood, boy. And all I did, I, I so wanted to see her. All I did is drive down there, jumped out, left the truck running, walked up to the house. She came outside just to say hi and to give her a kiss and say, Just wanted to see you. Hope you have a great day. Jumped in my, back in my truck and took off. Aww, yeah. That's a right response right there. <laughs> Who said that? All right, cool. Way to go, Nicole. But you know what? I'll tell you why. Because at that time in my life, as a believer, I was learning to adore God, but I also adored her. What you adore, you have no problem being around. You want to. You didn't hear me. What you adore, you have no problem being around. You want to. You know why I love church? I adore God. I want to be around Him and His people. Church is not a drain to me. You listening? I'm already winding down because I'm almost out of time, and wishing I had more time because I know now I won't get to be back in church till next week. Well, actually, tomorrow night we'll get to be here for prayer. But but I'm telling you, folks, you got to understand this, man. That you got to know and realize if you truly adore God, the things of God are not a drag to you. Open your butt. Why? Because what you worship, you will do what again? You will serve. And what you serve, you'll do what? You'll become like. And God doesn't just want to have time with you. God wants you to look like him. God wants you to live the same kind of life that he himself wants you to live out like he lives out. Amen? So let's look at an example of what is the response of God with some true worshipers. In 2 Chronicles chapter 5, we have the first uh, temple of Solomon. Solomon's day, Solomon built the first temple. The temple of Solomon, well, we call it the temple of Solomon. Of course, the temple of God. It was a temple God told him to build. Remember, David gathered everything. And then his son Solomon said, you're going to build this temple God wants you to build. Before that, what did they have? They had a temporary tent. You know, temporary setup of a tent that they would move around and stuff. But now he wants the temple. I've been to Israel. The original temple that was actually built there, believe it or not, even though it was destroyed and then rebuilt later by Herod, the original uh, actual foundation stones of that temple are still there. They destroyed everything on the top of the ground. There's a way we, Pastor God, I went with Pastor Barclay for 10 days in Israel. He got us underground under a deal because he got military clearance of people and stuff. And I mean, uh, this was a time when they kind of had a heightened issue with stuff going on in Gaza Strip. So they wouldn't just let you go everywhere. But our little guide says, You guys don't say nothing as we walk through here because you're going right by, how many know the wall where everybody prays? You're going right by that wall part of the temple where everybody walks up and offers their prayer. Don't say anything. People are going to look at us, but don't say anything. We're going to go through this little underground area where, by the way, as we walk through there, I actually started crying. We're on what's considered a part of the western wall, walking down what's left of the Herod's temple, the western wall. As we're walking down that part of the wall, there's, a, there's an opening that you go through because there's another part that's now been added off of that western wall. That's a building. And when you walk through that, I'm going to do it like this way. You walk through that opening, there's these little side rooms. They're kind of like almost go back as far as to the doors back there. Not, not quite. As you keep going, and you know what's in there? You know what's in there? Little Jewish boys. And they've got these uh, beautiful tables set up with the scrolls, just like in Jesus' day. And you know what they're doing? They're quoting the first five books of the Bible. They're being raised up just like they were in the Old Testament to learn and quote the five books of the Bible. You're walking through there. You've got to be real quiet. So you got to be real quiet. We can't disrupt, these, you know, disrupt what's going on in here. Because these boys are being trained to be raised up as, as priests in the, in the ministry in the Jewish culture. But you know what I knew as I was walking through there? Here's the 144,000 Jews that are being set apart to preach the gospel. And they don't even know it. They don't even know it. But you want to talk about some, when I say kids, 12, 13, 14, but you talk about devoted. They didn't look bored. They were, they were devoted. So we go past this part and then they take it to another little opening and now you go down. Say down. And you go down and down and down. Jerusalem, if you don't know, has been built on and built on. It's multiple level streets. And you got to get down to the lower levels to where the original streets were when Jesus lived. If you walk in modern day Jerusalem uh, streets today, that's not where Jesus walked. They took us down. He got us in another part where we actually got to walk across cobblestones that were there 2,000 years ago when Jesus was there. And you can tell because on the cobblestones, guess what there is grooved all through these cobblestones? Tracks. These grooves. Like, what are those? That's where all the chariots ran across these. Wow. Yeah. Back and forth all the time. And they'd wear grooves in these rocks down here. So we go down under, the, we're on the western wall underneath this bottom part. And as we're walking down along the western wall, I wish I had about an hour to tell you this. We're walking along the western wall. I always thought the western wall would be like, you know, one of the most emotional parts for me. But it wasn't. As we're, we're walking along, the, I'm looking over to the right, and here is these massive stones. I mean, how do you describe them? So from that wall, that stone, the length of that stone was probably this long. It was probably this tall, probably about seven, eight feet tall, or about this wide. These, and I'm like, I, I tell our God, I said, what are these? He said, don't you understand? Herod's wall is sitting on top of these. Okay, what are these? These are the original stones Solomon laid. All they did is destroyed the upper temple. I said, how in the world did they get these stones into place? He said, you're about to find out. They take us back into a little covey area where they actually have a 3D designed uh, setup that shows you what all of that was like in the days of Jesus. So it removes everything that's there now. Like they just push a button and things go, you know, move and everything. And it shows you exactly what it was like in the days of Jesus. And how they literally used these massive timbers. You go by these stones and there's like holes like cut into them little slots and holes and stuff. He said they would put t- wood timbers in them on both sides and get people all down along to push these things and put, you know, logs under them to roll them into place. I mean, you, could you imagine what it took to build this temple, this glorious temple? So here we are at the completion of that temple, at the completion of that temple. The part that hit me the most of all my 10 days in Israel was actually still under that underground part of the wall. We were going to try to, you can go through this underground part of the wall if you're taken back there by the right people. You can go all the way through and come out the other side on the north end of the city, actually out where Jesus was crucified. But that time frame, they were having all kinds of bombing, again, from Gaza Strip and issues with a lot of the uh, Muslims and stuff. They said, we can't, it's not safe enough. We can't take it, we can't guarantee your safety if we go out that way because when they're having problems like that, they'll watch that, that uh, other end over there They won't let anybody in. And so we can't go out that way because we could have some problems. We can bring you in here, but we'll have to go back out the way we came in. But we go halfway up and we stop. And there's like a handful, like two or three of of the Jews that are there. They're on their knees, man. They got their hands up against this wall. And there's like this this round, uh, uh, kind of what looks like, you know, one time would have been an opening, you know, that's not there anymore because it's the original stone still. And like, I don't get it. And they said, Solomon built this. So when this got attacked, they could get the Ark of the Covenant out. I said, excuse me? They said, guess what's just a few feet away from where we are? The Dome of the Rock. And that's where the inner court was, and that's where the inner temple was, and that's where the Holy of Holies was. Wow. You're, you're within about 12 feet of the Holy of Holies. That got me. <laughs> that got, and these people are sitting there with their hands just, uh, I mean, these are Jews who are praying to get this back. They're down there. I said, what are they doing? They're praying to get this temple mount back because the Muslims control it. And they're believing God. They're believing that Yeshua HaMashiach is going to come. He's going to get this back for them. He's going to. And, gee, they're going to have that temple back. Amen? I said amen? So here's the temple being finished. And at the time the temple's being finished, of course, they begin to offer up praise. Say praise and worship honoring to god watch this so in uh second chronicles chapter 5 verse 10 says nothing was in the ark the ark is being now brought back uh the ark excuse me is being brought into the temple for the first time the ark of the covenant nothing was in the ark except the two tablets which moses put there at Oreb. notice this the lord made a covenant there with the children of israel when they had come out of egypt of course verse 11 came to pass when the priest came out so here they are. They're coming a uh, uh, relationship to the dedication of the temple. It came to pass as the priests came out of the most holy place that they had just finished putting the ark into, all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to the divisions. Now, why did they have to sanctify themselves? That ark represented the presence of God. You have now been sanctified by the blood of Jesus. That presence is now in you. That presence that they had to be so aware of and so careful of in their day, because they had sinned, to go through all these things to sanctify themselves, so they wouldn't fall dead. If you don't know this, when the when the high priest went in once a year to the holy of holies to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, they tied a rope around his leg. His his actual garment had little bells on it. There was a reason for those bells, because the ministers that were on the outer court, if those bells stopped ringing, guess what they knew? He didn't prepare himself before he went in there. What's he doing? He's lying in there dead. And if I go in there, guess what? I'm not allowed to. Only the high priest was once a year. There's only one way we can get him out. We're to have to pull him out with that rope. So they would tie a rope on their leg. So, you know, here he's talking about the priest coming out of that Holy of Holies. They just put the ark in there. They set the ark in place. They come out of the Holy of Holies. Verse 12, the, the Levites. I wish they had time. Oh, I wish they had time. See, the Holy, if you don't know, the tabernacle represents you. The tabernacle that was made, it's three parts. You're three parts. God's all types and shadows. That tabernacle was a representation of you. That holy of holies is your heart. That's been sanctified by the blood of Jesus. That's the reason the Holy Spirit's now come to live inside of you. You're the ark. Your heart's the ark. Your heart's the carrier. Are you listening tonight? Notice verse 12. So this, this goes on to say the Levites, which was the one set aside to take care of the tabernacle, the Levites were with what? They were with the singers. And all those of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun uh, and their sons and the brethren, they stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments and harps, and with them 120 priests sounding the trumpets. Know what that sounded like? 13. Indeed, it came to pass when, underline it, this is what we got to get to in church if we want to see God show up again the way he wants to show up in church. I'm talking about in our midst as a body. Notice this. When the trumpeters and singers were as what? One. Were as one. Every great move of God has always been related to the church, and it's always been when the church, any church. Look what happened at Asbury. Why? Why did that happen? They were all one. They were all there for one reason. We're there to worship God. We don't care what time it is. Food, can you imagine it? College students didn't care about food anymore. It's a miracle. <laughs> They'd be there for days. Some guys, they were interviewed later. I didn't even realize I hadn't eaten. The trumper, trumpeters, and see, see, the only way we get to this place is we got to be true worshipers again. Notice this, the trumpeters and singers were as what? One, to make one sound to be heard in the praising. Say praising and thanking the Lord. Notice it doesn't say worship, but they're worshiping. Why? Because their whole focus is one thing, God. They're exalting God. They're loving him in this moment to the highest degree that they know how. They're adoring him and exalting him together. As they came together to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking God. Notice this, moving on here in verse 13. It says, and when they lifted their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music and praise the Lord, saying, for he is what? Good. Come on, tell me. Good. He is what? Good. good and his mercy what? Endures Endures. F- now, why would they say that? Because you get to know your God. Guess what you're going to say about your God? My God is good. Yes. How about yours, Rip? Come on, how about yours, Justin? How about yours, Kim? My God's good. See, you you become a true worshiper, guess what happens? You get to know your God. Because you have intimacy with Him. You get to know your God, you're not going to walk around talking about how bad your God is. You're going to find out just how good your God is. I said, for He is good, His mercy endures forever. Notice, that the house, listen, that the house, say the house. That's what you're in now. You're in the house of the Lord here. That the house, the house of the Lord was what? What was it filled with? Tell me out loud, please. I have asked God to do this over and over and over again. He said, you don't understand. Your church has to become as one. It's not based on how bad you want it. It's based on how bad your church wants me. For me to come into the house this way the house of God, to fill the house of God. I've heard so many stories, Brother Hagin, talk about meetings, man, where people get so caught up just loving God and totally focused on God. And he said, and here it would come. I'd see it, a cloud would come into the room. This is what they saw. I said, this is what they saw. It was filled with what? A cloud. What's that cloud? What is that cloud? God himself. The Shekinah glory of God himself. You still with me? 14, notice, so that the priest could not do what? What could they not do? The new King James says, continue ministering. The actual Hebrew says, and the, and the King James says, that they couldn't stand. Right. Amen. I have, Pastor Ben, we talked so much with Pastor about this, uh, this last day. Uh, the other night when I picked him up, had dinner with him, and then today, I said, Pastor, I miss the days. When, when we were in Roanoke, there were days I would go on that platform to preach. And the presence of God was so heavy, I couldn't even stand. Yes. I'd have to sit. I'd, I'd sit down and say, I don't care what you guys do today. I can't stand up to preach. I don't even have enough strength to preach. I'm just going to enjoy the presence of the Lord. You can do what you want. Anybody remember those? Yes. You can do what you want, man. I'm just going to sit here and enjoy the presence yes. of the Lord. You know, God can do sometimes more for us just sitting in his presence. Yes. Yeah. Well, why don't we have these meetings? You really want to know? We were all one. Yes, okay. We wanted one thing, more of God. Yes, Nothing Lord. else mattered. We didn't care how long the sermon went. We didn't care. Back in that day in Roanoke, I didn't have people saying, come on, Pastor, come on. It's getting late, man. We got to go. We got stuff to do. I didn't have people tell me that. Right. That's happened over the past 10 years. You listening? I'm not going to mention anything, because not about people. I've had people literally tell me, our services are too long. You, you, need to, you need to shorten these services. Let me help you. I have a choice then. I have a choice to please you and give you what you want. Or I have a choice to obey God and do what God wants me to do. I understand this whole new mentality of the secret friendly church is to give you what you want. But I can't do that because if I do that, I'm going to disobey God. Now, I agree. I can tell you, I've known. I've known there's times as a pastor, I've gone longer than I should have. A pastor doesn't ever leave a service not knowing if he hasn't gone longer than he should have. I've had times that that's happened, no doubt. I've left and said, man, I should have closed 30 minutes before I closed. And honestly, you want to know why? Not because God didn't want me to share what I shared. I'll guarantee it. Don't get mad. I'll t- not here. I'm not, not saying this happens a lot here because it hasn't. But I'm going to tell you why. I knew I should have closed 30 minutes sooner. I lost everybody. They were already thinking about going home. They were already thinking about jobs. I, gotta, I need to go take a nap today. I need to do this, do that, whatever. Well, there's no reason to go on preaching. Thank you for all your amens about this. See, when you're a true worshiper, you want more of his presence. You don't want less. You want more time in the things of God, not less. Amen. Because the one thing I love about the time that I grew up in cowboy church is our people didn't care how long those services went. We didn't care that we were in an auction barn. I didn't see a cloud. I've shared my testimony with you. I saw a miracle, a guy raised from the dead in the very next Sunday. I'm in church, and it's like nobody else was even around. And I felt the glory of God come on me. I felt it start in my... I can't even describe it to you. People can say what they want. I'm sold out, man. I, you, I'm too far gone. I've, I've experienced too much for you to convince me that was just emotionalism. Uh-uh. I wasn't even trying to make that happen. I was just having a blast worshiping God. In an auction barn, a hot, stinky... Auction barn, flea ridden. (laughs) But people today, man, look at what churches are trying to do. Like we talked about with Pastor Day. that Most of them are like nightclubs. They're so dark inside. And they got all this perfect lighting. We got to have the smoke machines and all this stuff and everything else. Listen, you know what? None of that has anything to do with honoring and enduring God. Well, we got to get the people. That is not, let me help you. That's sensationalism. There's no true worship involved in it. All it takes to help people that really have a heart to know God is a true anointed worship leader who knows how to get in the presence of God and he'll bring people with him. It ain't about smoke machines. It ain't about lights. It ain't about the perfect setting. You listening? Because it's not just what they do. It's even the songs they choose. Because if they choose songs that exalt man, guess what you're not doing? You're not adoring God. There's no drawing to God on that. You're just drawn to man. If you look at most modern day, sorry if I'm boring you, but I'm obeying God. If you look at most modern day worship today, we're very careful about what I bring in the church. Guess what? Most of it's about man. It's not about God. There's nothing wrong singing songs about who we are in Christ. I'm just saying a lot of it's just all about us. The greatest way to get in the presence of God in a time of praise is to start exalting him. Why? He inhabits that. It gives him room. It's because you know why? Because your heart becomes open to God. He's a spirit. He's not going to fellowship with your flesh. Your flesh will experience it. When I experienced that God that day in that auction bar worshiping God, it didn't start outward. It started inward. My chest started getting warm. I don't mean my physical chest. I knew it was in my spirit. And I'm telling you, it was just a warmth that all of a sudden came upon me and overtook me. I was aware of nobody around me. I was aware of nothing going on. I, I'm kind of like Paul at that moment. In the body, out of the body, I don't know. And I don't care. <laughs> I'm in the Shekinah, in the almighty uh, presence of almighty God, overflowing me to the degree that it's just me and him. And I knew that at one point it was going to end. I knew it. And I said, God, can I just stand right here till the rapture? Can I just enjoy this and just stay here till? No, you got work to do. There's stuff you got to go do. But I'm telling you, folks, there's nothing like having the presence of God come in the house of God. And when the presence of God comes in the house of God, guess what? Even sinners will get touched. Even sinners will get blessed. Read it again. If I'm boring you, I'm sorry, but I'm making me happy. Thirteen. The trumpers and singers were what? They were as one. They made one sound to be heard in the praising and and in the praising and thanking the Lord. Meaning what? The rest of the people that were there. Right. And when they lifted up, they, what they did? They lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music. He is good. His mercy. What are they doing? They're exalting God. Adoring yes. him. And when they did that, house say the house. House of the Lord was what? Was filled with a cloud. Watch. first four, 14 again. So the ministers could not do what? They couldn't even stand. The presence of God. I, I, I keep trying to finish this verse and it's like then, then the, the Lord nudges me. They could not even continue to stand. If you look at the word glory. So the word glory in the Bible. We're referring to the glory of the Lord. What is the glory? A little more. It's more than just his presence. Excuse me? It's the manifest presence of God. Do you know if you look up the word glory? I remember when I first started studying as a pastor. This really intrigued me. I couldn't figure it out at first. Of course, I understand it now. But I couldn't figure it out at first. You know the first word for the word glory? Weighty. Heavy. I'm like, what? God's heavy? God's weighty? When you get in the presence of God, man, it's hard to stand sometimes. People say, well, they didn't do that in the New Testament. Evidently, you didn't read what happened when they came to arrest Jesus. <laughs> fell down. That's true. Good, and they weren't even worshipers. That's right. Why did they fall? He spoke the full name of God. I am. When he yes. spoke the full name of God, he released everything God is and everything that God was Amen. and will be. That's right? right? Thank you, Lord. When they said, are you... Are you this Messiah, this one? He said, I am. What's God's name? I am. Read it in John's account. When he said I am, guess what happened? The soldiers were blown back and fell to the ground. What do he say? What, what did he do when he said I am? He released the presence of God. I honestly believe a part of that was not just releasing the presence of God. It was to show the world they could not take me if I did not let them. I'm yielding my life to this very plan of God for my life to fulfill what needs to be done. They're not taking me. They're not taking my life. Look, I'm going to try to finish it, I promise. Verse 14. So the priest could not do what? Continue standing to minister as as they normally would because of what? Tell me. Tell me out loud, please. Like you're excited about it. Because of the cloud, watch, for the glory of the Lord did what? Filled the house of God. So this cloud was what? It was the manifest presence of God. What it do? It filled the whole sanctuary, filled the whole temple to the degree the priests who normally had a responsibility to do what they had to do on the first intercourt couldn't even stand up to do their part. And I'll guarantee you they were fighting to try to stand up because they were thinking we got to do what God told us to do. But God said, not in this moment. Can I get a better amen? Now let me tell you what you just saw. You just saw the response of a God. You ready? To true worshipers. Amen. This is what happens to true worshipers Amen. they encounter the fullness of God. True fellowship, intimacy, knowing He's there. They had no doubt God showed up. That's right. No doubt. Amen. You listening? They weren't like, I wonder if God's presence showed up the other day. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Nobody would have said that. Nobody would have said that. They knew he was there. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now your spirit. You are now the Ark of the Covenant. That same presence is in you. Why are we not aware of it? Got to be a true worshiper. It's not about just being able to not, excuse me, it's not about not being able to stand up. It's not about that. doesn't mean that you may walk through your day and all of a sudden just fall down because you can't stand up. It's about being aware of the fellowship God wants to have with you every day. He's your Father. He's your dad. He wants to love on you. He wants to help you. He wants to guide you as we just finished in our last series. But guess what, a part, of it ta- guess what part of what it takes to actually experience God's guidance and love and care for your life? You've got to be a true worshiper. Most people are missing out on what true Christianity is all about. I love what our pastor said today. If God was going to send Jesus to die for you just to get you to heaven, there'd be no reason for him to have you born again until just minutes before you go to heaven, unless he had something else for you to be here to do. Now, he talked about the aspect of what you do and being able to help others with the gospel. Can I help you? I guess what your number one purpose of getting born again before you ever get to heaven is for, to experience fellowship with the Father. You want to know what Christian faith fellowship is all about? To know God and to make him known. I want you to know him. I mean intimately. I mean really know him. Experience his presence. Because just like they did in that moment of time. Now this is God himself in this moment of time. You know what this is like? This is like salvation for us. Because the ark didn't have the presence of God with it. Had to, they wouldn't have lived to carry it in there had it, had it had the presence with it. They take it into the inner court. They come out of the inner court. They start worshiping God. And what does God do? God comes now. And fills that inner court and the entire uh, inner part of the temple uh, of Almighty God. He fills the whole place with His presence. Ladies and gentlemen, that happened the day you got born again. Remember the veil got torn when Jesus was raised from the dead? When He died, actually. That veil, why? Because He don't live in hands, in buildings made by man's hands anymore. He lives in us. You can experience the same thing with God. Because that same presence that they... See, we read that story. That would have been cool to be there. Are you kidding me? You're saying it would have been cool to be there? Well, okay, yeah, it would have. But you know what? There's one better than that. You know what the better thing is? That same presence they experienced, that's already in you, darling. That's in your little ark of the covenant. That's in your spirit man within you. Any good amens? Amen. So you got to understand this. That outer court represented the flesh. The first inner part of the court represented the soul. It was three parts of that inner court. Study it for yourself. I've taught it before. Mind, will, and emotions. And then the Holy of Holies represented our heart where the presence of God resides. And there's no reason that we should not be walking in intimacy with our God. You know it was going to make us uh, strong in relationship to uh, what we're called to do by God, what's going to make us strong in the Lord and the power of His might to fulfill His will? Be aware of His presence. Yeah. When you're aware of the greater one in you, yes. you're, not fa- you're not afraid to face anything. Amen. You're not afraid to witness. Amen. Well, I'm just too shy to witness. No, that's your flesh. Right. And if you'd get truly intimate with God, you wouldn't have any problems. You'd want to share. Yes, Why? Because what you worship, you're going to do what? You're going to Serve. And what you serve, you're going to become like. If you would just learn to become a true worshiper, you'd have no problem serving God. we got to be careful we don't put the servant first. Meaning, what? I got to spend so many hours in prayer. I got to spend so many hours in the Word. Where is there a verse that says you have to spend X amount of hours in prayer or the Word? No. First of all, you know, prayer shouldn't be something we delegate in our mind to think I got to have this set aside time to pray with God. I think it's great and very clear in the Bible. Yeah, Jesus did say you need uninterrupted times. That you obviously, he talked about going in a closet, doesn't mean it had to be a physical closet, oh, nothing wrong with that. I know Emily does this in her closet. I used to do it, man, when I was actually a uh, young baby believer, when I first was in a little small uh, barn apartment that I had, I'd sometimes go sit in the closet just to get away from all the sounds outside. But the point is, sure, you're to have those times, but the Bible says pray always. You know what that means? Don't ever stop communicating with God. Don't, we, we compartmentalize prayer as this time that now we spend with God and then we come out of that time of prayer and it's like now we're not aware of him anymore. No, pray always, meaning what? Stay in constant contact with heaven. Come on, somebody. Be more God conscious is a way to say it. How do you do that? Become a true worshiper. I'm out of time. I want to help you with this series because God wants us to be true worshipers. Two reasons. He wants fellowship with us. And he wants us to become like him on this earth. And we can. I said we can. And not only that, what happens if our church becomes true worshipers in this house of God? He'll show up the same way he did here. I'll close with the prophecy Brother Hagan gave. Brother Hagan had a word from the Lord. Brother Hagan had kind of multiple prophecies through his time of ministry. He had a pro- God gave him a prophecy uh, back when World War II was going on. He said at the end of World War II there's going to come a healing revival. Well, guess what happened? Healing revival. Oral Roberts, Tents Everywhere. Man, R.A. Allen, A.A. Allen, huh? He came after that, towards the end of that period. R.W. Shambaugh. how about the guy who went to South Africa? Huh? Bonky, heart, Bonky. Man, it was a massive healing wave, right? So there was this huge, the way the Lord showed him, it's like you're looking at the ocean and you see a wave, big wave, like the surfers all of a sudden notice a big wave starting to rise to come in, right? And he showed him this in a vision. He said, there's coming a wave. It's going to come It's going to be a healing wave. And a bunch of people are going to get on it. And they're going to ride that wave, man. And they're going to see a lot of miracles, a lot of signs of water, a lot of stuff of where I'm going to heal people. And he said, but after that, he said, there's going to come an actual teaching wave. Because he said, we saw the healing wave, and after we saw the healing wave, guess what? We were all excited about God, but we didn't understand the Bible. Right. It was very little teaching. And so now all of a sudden you saw this teaching wave come where the word of God started, word of faith, starts getting taught. Things people had never heard before, stuff about relationship with God, et cetera. And he told him towards the end of his life, he said, I want you to look back out there. He said, there's another wave coming. There'll be those who truly have a desire to walk with me who, like these other waves, they'll get on this wave and they'll ride it in. And he said, he never told me it would be the final wave, but I just kind of, he never said it wouldn't. He never gave me anything after that. And I believed it was going to be the final wave that we would ride into glory. And he said, it's going to be a combination of the healing, and move of the, of the work of the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders, along with teaching. You're going to see a combination of both. And even Wigglesworth... Uh, actually had a prophecy from God very similar, that there would come a day for all churches that continue to stay true to teaching the truth of God's word and allow the Holy Spirit to move, they're going to see a move of God in the last days. We were talking about this in closing with a pastor, and I, you know, I've seen this for years, and you know, I've always heard about this great outpouring of the last days to win a lot of souls. It ain't in the Bible before the rapture. Now, it is during the, during the first three and a half years of tribulation. Oh, my gosh, man. Uh, go, go get Dr. Sutton's teachings. It's powerful. There's a mid-tribulation rapture of which the Bible says it's like a sea of people that all of a sudden ascend up to, the he- up to the throne of God that come where? And it tells you right there in the book of Revelation, they came out of the tribulation period, born again. Massive amount of people. Massive amount of people. Now, don't think that we're not to see any salvations between now and the rapture, but you know what the last real move of God's for? It's for the church. You know why? Church needs to get woke back up. Yes. Come on. Yes. Get hungry for God again. Yes. Can I get a better amen? Yes. Stand your feet.